Hey, I'm Robert Pearson, and this is Follow the Leader. And we are VR Troopers. Uh, we're doing another Blue Collar Bible Scholar installment. We're in a Bible College dropout turned electrician shares what he knows instead of letting all of that knowledge go to rot. We are going through the books of the Bible one at a time. Today's Leviticus. Uh, once again, the goal of these are just to give you a good overview and kind of a working knowledge of a, a book of the Bible that's really complex, has a lot of stuff. I'm going to oversimplify a lot, and uh, my footnotes may be off occasionally, but it's not on purpose. Like, I did an entire video using the wrong word for what I was talking about. Bible college was a long time ago, guys. I'm trying to do better on looking stuff up that I think I know, because uh, it's... Uh, Things, things shift with time when you uh, you haven't opened that box in the closet for a while. So, uh, Leviticus, named for the Levites, which are a tribe of Israel responsible for the temple. They were the only tribe of Israel that received absolutely zero inheritance in the land of Israel. They got no property except like seven cities called Cities of Refuge. And even then, it belonged to the temple, not to individual Levites. And uh, that was it. And they got some farmland around each city. And then beyond that, they had to live on the charity and tithes of the Jewish nation. And they had a lot of uh, rules and strict stuff they had to follow. And the book of Leviticus is a really dry book of lots of tiny details about what they are and are not supposed to do. There's uh, quite a few chapters in the middle that are just about how to handle leprosy, uh, which, reading it with a modern eye, you can see they're talking about anything from mildew in the walls to uh, a bad scab that somebody has. Or, you know, maybe, uh, maybe like a staph infection or something. Up to actual what we call leprosy nowadays, where it's uh, you, you have an inability to feel pain. And so little injuries build up and parts of you start rotting off after a while. Yeah, necrosis, that's it. But that's that's leprosy. But they use leprosy for, you know, anybody could have, someone could have eczema. And there's uh, certain tests and stuff they have to do. And so there's a lot of the weird nuance and details. However, if you have a discerning eye, if you're a little more mature in the faith, if you have a... If you have a few more years under your belt of Bible reading and stuff... It can be beneficial to to pull out little details from Leviticus and go, oh, that's neat. Um, if you if you are reading it and you're really still young in the faith, just read it. You don't understand any of it. That's fine. Things will start to click later, or someone will mention a temple thing in another book, and you'll be like, oh, I I, I read that. I remember in Leviticus somewhere they were talking about fancy underpants they had to wear in the temple service. Yeah, there we go. So it's, uh, it, it is relevant, but just don't expect to get a whole lot out of it initially. And don't try to find stuff in it, because there's a lot of weird things in there. So, uh, an outline for the book of Leviticus is basically a bunch of rules, some guys messed up, and then we get a bunch more rules. And that's, uh, that's really a good the summary of the book. There's a, just a lot of rules over everything from different kinds of leprosy 
how exactly to make the, the linen ephod, which is a big fancy vest that the, the priest wore. And uh, there's just a whole lot of stuff in there. Now, it's, it's just a lot of rules. The people that messed up, Aaron's two kids offer what's called strange fire, and they get burned alive. And it just shows up in the middle of the list of rules. And the only purpose I can see for it, uh, just at a at a at face value reading, is just to remind you that God doesn't play, and He's just. And He told them, "This is how you're going to run the temple." It's not like it's been hundreds of years and they forgot and things got fuzzy. He just told them how to do it right yesterday. Moses isn't done writing the book on how to do it yet. And they're already messing it up. And so they willfully do not follow the prescribed method given by God of getting fire from the temple altar to light something else, to light the incense or whatever. They get the fire from wherever's convenient because they're being lazy or something, probably. And God was like, oh, you guys like fire? That's not okay. You were told. You didn't listen. You got served. And the the entire book focuses a lot on justice. So much so that a lot of people miss the fact Leviticus is the one that tells you to love your neighbor as yourself. That's in there. Leviticus is also the one where it says, Treat the foreigner that is among you as though he were your brother, one of your brethren. For you were foreigners in the land of Egypt. That's not that's not an angry that's not an angry God looking for a chance to smite you. Uh, you know, they, they pick a couple of rules they don't like and they go, Look how terrible God is. And a lot of them aren't prohibitions. It just says, hey, you're unclean now. Go wash yourself off. Go wash your clothes in water and just stay outside the camp until nightfall. Then you're good. Uh, Homosexuality's in there, and that has a death penalty for everybody involved. That's under a theocracy. The, uh... That's not... It's not relevant today because that's not our government today. Uh, there are governments in the world that still do that, that practice. Uh, there's a word for them. I can't remember the technical term. I think it's Sharia law. There, there are still countries that have those kinds of laws today. It's not quite as ancient um, as, as the biblical laws. But we live in a free society right now. And I'm, I don't think any government has the right to go inside of somebody's bedroom and tell them what to do outside of things that are clearly uh, abuse and assaults. Um, once again, in the Bible, it's a theocracy. God gives clear guidelines. He is the one running their country by himself. And he's got Moses as a little proxy, and he says, I'll raise up other prophets like Moses. You need to listen to them. And so those that's the, the primary difference. And the people, the nation of Israel, have a covenant with God. Uh, they are going to obey God, and only God. And God says, okay, you are going to be my people. I will prosper you and protect you. Follow these laws, and you will receive my blessing and live long in the land. And uh, it's kind of hit or miss for a while, and then they just give up trying. 
So, uh, some things, some high notes in Leviticus. I, I wanted to mention something. I should have mentioned it. I forgot it's in Exodus. Uh, I thought it was in Leviticus. So I didn't look it up then until now. And I was like, oh no. Uh, I, now, I, I learned, I met a homeless guy doing homeless ministry when I was in Bible college who just sat around and read his Bible all day and would preach at people. We called him Preacher Gary. And the uh, he would walk around wearing black, just flat black button-up shirt and slacks and then uh, a cowboy hat in the summer or uh, like a, a regular watch cap in the winter. And he had real big on the side printed, Jesus is Lord. And he always wore a cross, but it was the the Roman cross, or the, the Roman Catholic cross that has Jesus on it, on the, on the front of the hat. He was uh, a Protestant dispensationalist something. I, I never really got enough details to know for sure, because then he would, he was homeless for a reason. Um, he would start talking about aliens, or angels are really space aliens, and kind of get far afield. But the, the reason he chose to wear the Catholic cross was because the cross has become a symbol and people, he thought the average person would forget, had forgotten what it even meant. It is a method of murder. It is how our Savior died. And so in wearing it, you're remembering his sacrifice for our sins and trying to walk in the, the fear of God and the gratitude for what he's done for you. And... So he wore that. The reason he dressed that way is because of the passage. It's in Exodus, but it's relevant. Some people don't know how to drive here. So the um, the passage in Leviticus, it's not in Leviticus, it's in Exodus. I thought it was. It, it relates to the temple. The way they built the robes for the priests... Around the hem, the, the text, the biblical text specifies bell, pomegranate seed, bell, pomegranate seed, all the way around the hem of the robe that the high priest would wear. Which means he's walking around making this jingling noise every time he takes a step. Now, he read the Schofield Bible a lot, so this might be in the Schofield Study Bible. I haven't heard this anywhere else. I didn't even know that passage was in there until this homeless man I was supposed to be ministering to as a Bible college student was teaching me stuff about the Bible. Um, but his premise was that is a direct contrast to Adam hiding from God in the garden. So as God is deciding the priestly robes, everything is in bright colors, bright blue, bright gold, bright yellow colors. It specifies in the passage, I forgot, the, the brightly colored and then bell, bell pomegranate seed all the way around the hem. So it jingles as he moves. And he's brightly colored. Because you are not going to hide from God. The whole point is you will boldly show yourself to the Lord. Instead of cowering in shame like Adam did. It was a contrast. I thought that was fascinating. Uh, I don't have... It, it's just It was a fascinating observation from an old guy who just read his Bible over and over and over again. Uh, and so he, he took that then, not, not to say all Christians have to, but he used it as an exhortation, uh, for others, but he took it on himself to dress in a way he felt was his uniform. As a Christian, I'm going to wear a uniform because when Jesus comes back, he shouldn't have to look for me. He should be able to see me, spot me in a crowd. 
other people should be able to see me and spot me in a crowd and know, oh, that guy dresses funny because he's a Christian. Because the first thing people see is how you look, how you carry yourself, how you appear. I understand actions are more important than appearances. Once again, he started doing this because of where his heart was at, uh, which I found fascinating. And it's just a neat thing I love sharing. Uh, anytime you can learn from a homeless guy. I'm sure Preacher Gary is uh, deceased by now. He's quite old when I first met him, and that was uh, more than, you know, coming on 10 years ago now that uh, since I've seen him last. Preacher Gary in Columbia, Missouri, he's usually in the Jimmy John's on the main strip after uh, after about 9 o'clock at night. Uh, if, you, uh, if you ever wind up in that area, because the internet is big and videos stay up long, but I'm, I think he's passed away long ago. So that's in, uh, it's in Exodus chapters 28 and 34, and then also in 39 and 26, because uh, it states how to build it, and then it says, then they built it like, and so it, it repeats. So it's clearly important to some degree. I just thought that was fascinating, though, that how do you, how do you dress? Is Jesus going to be able to pick you out of a crowd when he shows up? Obviously, the Lord knows his own. Um, the sheep hear my voice, and they, they come to me. Uh, but the, the that he would take it so so deeply to then begin expressing it outwardly. He dressed like that all the time. Long sleeve, black shirt and slacks in the hot Missouri heat in the summertime. A homeless guy walking around on the street. I think he had a short sleeve button up that he wore in the summers. But that was it, man. That dude dressed like that all the time. And then he's got his little homeless person cart, and it's just stacked full of commentaries and original language references and uh, various Bible translations. Gosh, I have, I have no doubt where he went after he died. It's just, I don't know why, I don't really know why he was homeless, but uh, that guy was walking around with a lot of truth. Anyway, more about Leviticus. Um, the rules, right? Every covenant has rules that you have to follow or you're not in that covenant. Covenant is just a fancy Old Testament word for a contract. Um, it used to be covenant, and then they started using contract or whatever. But a, a contract, you have a contract with your landlord, right? You pay rent to live there. If you don't pay rent, you don't get to live there. So you have the freedom to live there as long as you pay rent and you're not actively destroying the house. You know, you, you have certain things you have to do. You have to clean the gutters. You have to change the air filter for your HVAC system. Uh, you have you have certain responsibilities that you have to do to hold up on your end to still live there. You have to pay rent. And then when you do those things, you're allowed to live there. You can do whatever you want with the house, decorate, change the drapes, move couches around, buy new couches. And you have that freedom because you have subjected yourself to the contract and you obey the rules of the contract, you then receive the blessing of being able to live in that house, for instance. So God lays out the contract for the land of Israel. And he's, that's what these rules are, is he's saying, look, you're going to pay tithe. You're going to take care of my priests. They're mine now. They're going to work for me and you give your money to them. They work for me. And so it's in that humility of following the rules. God then says, well, you can live in the land and I'll bless you. 
do it, do what I've required you to do. Now the rules, everybody focuses on the weird rules or the, oh, they said homosexuality is bad, but we know it's okay now, blah, blah, blah. Why would you kill somebody for that? What You just skipped over everywhere in there where it says incest is wrong. And it gives a blanket statement, incest is wrong, and then proceeds to list specific instances in case you didn't catch it the first time. Out of ten laws, one of them will be a weird one that doesn't make sense. Like, oh, we can't wear two different types of clothing. It's got to be all cotton or all linen. We can't mix them and wear that. All right, whatever. We can't shave our face or our heads. All right, I guess. Because the nine other laws are don't rape, don't murder. Be nice to your neighbor. Don't take things that don't belong to you. Don't have sex with family members. Don't put your children in a campfire on a metal statue. You know, the basics. The basic don'ts. If you're just a... That's why it was so easy for Jesus to say, like, oh, the whole Son of Law and the Prophets was this. Love God, love your neighbor. Bam. Done. Because you're not going to do all the other terrible stuff. And so it's the whole point, God says it several times in Leviticus too, he's like, follow all of these rules, because I hate you and I love watching you suffer following pointless minutia <laughs> no, it says it's for your benefit, it's for your blessing it's that you'll live long, and have a good life, and just enjoy being alive that's, that's why all of those crazy nuanced rules, and you may not understand them all, but they were there for a reason A lot of the rules fixate on purity, on staying pure. You know why you don't boil a calf in his mother's milk? Because that's what the Canaanite pagans did when they worshipped their pagan gods. Is they would take a baby calf and they'd take a big cauldron of milk from his mom, not eating cheeseburgers. They would boil a child, a child cow, in the milk of that exact cow's own mom. And they boil him in it to worship their pagan gods. Well, that sounds like a bad thing. It's not about eating cheeseburgers. It's about avoiding paganism. It's about keeping your theocracy pure of other religions, of false gods, continuing to follow the one true God. Do you know why you keep your face bearded, manly, with a good patch of hair on top of your head? It's not because God wants you to have the little curly Q locks and a giant Amish beard. It's because the Egyptian priests would shave all of the hair on their entire body. They'd shave their faces clean. They shaved their heads clean. They shaved their whole body clean of hair for their purity rituals. It's to avoid even looking like the pagans. God wanted his people to stand out. So pure they don't even mix the threads of their clothing. It's either all cotton or all linen. No polyester blend for you, Ben Shapiro. And that's fine. But that's why. God never tells you why, but it becomes obvious reading the the breadth of it, seeing what the Israelites went through. Sorry, I have a lousy mount for my camera, so it keeps swaying over to the side every two minutes. The rules are there for your benefit. 
It's just like a parent and children relationship. It's exactly the same. Jimmy, don't touch that! Yeah. Crying and throwing a fit, but I want to touch that. No, that's a fork, that's a light socket. Together, they're a no! Yeah, I, I, I'm angry and I'm loud, and there will be harsh consequences. Do you know why? Because when you do that, it kills you! When you defy the natural order of things, it kills you. Just not very quickly, so you don't feel it all at once. Do you know why you get yelled at by your parents to clean your room? Because poor hygiene kills you. It's slow, it's miserable, but it will. So they have consequences right now, quickly, so you can feel it. And then when you're old enough and smart enough to understand what disaster you've been spared by not being allowed to wallow in squalor, yeah, oh, everything makes sense now. That's that's good reason. So there's an important thing, though. It's an important thread as you read it. It constantly recurs. There are several sacrifices. All of the sacrifices are for sin. All of them. If you sin, something has to die. If not you, something. That's, that's the, like a beating drum in Leviticus. Even sins of ignorance. There are explicitly, if someone were to sin in ignorance, then there's still a sacrifice. God doesn't say, well, then you're off the hook. You didn't know. No, he's like, well, there's just a different sacrifice. But something still has to die because you screwed up. It doesn't matter if you don't know. Something has to die. A sin was still committed. The eternal nature of God was transgressed. There is an eternal counterbalance that needs to happen in the form of dying, being unmade, because you violated the fundamental nature of all things, which is God. Not that God is everything, but He made everything. Everything has a set order to it. There's even a set order to the way molecules bond and make other things, the way atoms bond and make other molecules. The way atoms behave, it's all clockwork, consistent, rigid, structural, logical. All of the animals behave in very set, specific patterns, and only humans are allowed to think outside of and change those patterns. And there are always consequences for violating that natural order set and established by God, which reflects the very nature of God to be ordered and precise and specific and perfect and flawless. Let's talk about holiness. Holiness is everywhere in it, in the book of Leviticus. So many purity rituals and sanctifying things, and it, we use the word holiness, it, it gets lost. Oh, it's sacred unto the Lord, or I'm holier than thou. What does holiness mean? I don't know. It, it gets to the point where you almost don't know Holiness means set apart. But that phrase isn't very descriptive. It, it never helped me in Bible. Oh, it means set apart. What? What? I don't I don't know what that means. Here's a clear example. Your toothbrush is holy unto your mouth. It is set apart to only be used to brush your teeth. So if you use it to scratch your butt, it's been defiled. This is the language of the Old Testament. This is the language of Leviticus. When something is defiled, it has no longer only ever been used for one purpose, to serve 
and worship God. Oh, now it's been used for another purpose. It's been defiled. It's been sullied. Now that God's going to get dysentery because you didn't do what he said. But in that clash where you didn't do what he said and God, you are going to be unmade. That's why sin leads to death. So holiness, your toilet is holy unto the things toilets are. Your cereal bowl is holy unto cereal of food, right? Things that go in your mouth. Uh, The categories can be a little vague, but it's still holy. You're not going to eat cereal out of a toilet bowl. That toilet is defiled. It's nasty. It's going to make you sick if you eat cereal out of it. If you use your cereal bowl for anything other than cereal, you're going to have issues. Well, I mean, you know, anything other than food, right? You're going to have some problems. That's what holy means. So when you're holy unto God, you are only doing things that bring honor and glory to God. Only things that reflect His nature and His being. So when you're holy unto the Lord, you're not going to regularly visit brothels. Indulge in narcotics to a degree that you're completely worthless and shrivel up your body. You're not going to philander about and leave your family. You're not going to be lazy and avoid working. You're going to reflect the nature of God, which is one that works. That's the first thing we have in the Bible. That's the where the word work first appears, is God making and creating the world. And then he makes these little tiny beings that reflect his nature. little tiny beings that that reflect his nature. And they're supposed to do what he does, but smaller. Like a, like a, a, kind of a, a blurry reflection of him. And then they start worshiping, and then they start worshiping God, and then they worship things that aren't God. They worship animals and trees. Well, now their worship is defiled. Well, when your toothbrush is defiled, yeah, you can throw it away and get a new one. Or you'd have to scald that thing with boiling bleach for just days before I'd, I'd come near it again. I would, I'd still just burn it and, and buy a new one. Um, but when you defile a toothbrush, think about if you need, if that was the last toothbrush on earth, you couldn't replace it. You had to use that one and use, somebody had just used it to scratch their butt with. Well, you'd have to go through a process to re-sanctify that toothbrush. You'd have to scrub and scour the impurities from it. You'd have to purge it and clean it. And that's that's what God does with us now through Jesus, but then through the temple sacrifice. And there's one last thing I want to... What's my time? The sunlight! Okay, yeah, time's all right. So the the last thing I want to address is uh, what I'm going to refer to as the culturally relevant train. It stays on its rails, and I know you think your stop is just up ahead, but in reality, there are no stops on the culturally relevant train. You get to think there are, you can lie to yourself, but there are no stops on the culturally relevant train. It rides and rides and rides until it jumps the rails, crashes, and kills everyone on board. That's the culturally relevant train. 
whenever you look at a law in Leviticus, whenever you look at something in the Old Testament that that doesn't make sense, you cannot say, oh, well, that was the culture then, and the culture now is different. Because the moment you do that, there's no end to it. There's no clear demarcation line where the Bible stops being true because culture, and then, oh, the rest of the Bible we can take literally until it transgresses your culture again, and then that part of the Bible is no longer to be taken literally because that part is culturally relevant. The culturally relevant train has no end, and many people lie to themselves to say, oh, no, it's fine. I can have tattoos now, even though Leviticus says no tattoos, because the culture is different now. Also, another law for the purpose of differentiating the people of God from the pagans, because a lot of pagan traditions, the priests would tattoo themselves. God basically made it illegal to be a pagan priest after telling everybody, don't be pagan priests. And so the reason why you can have tattoos now is not because that's culturally relevant. It's an easy magic wand, but then when you realize it works on everything, even stuff you don't like, well, God said don't murder, but our culture is different now. It's okay to murder sometimes if people are old or they're still in the womb. We can murder them all we want. That's It's culturally relevant then, okay? The culturally relevant train doesn't stop until the Bible is meaningless and everyone's dead. Now, yes, you're allowed to have tattoos now. Yes, you're allowed to wear a polyester cotton blend clothing now. But not because of cultural relevance. That would That's preposterous. It would undermine the entire foundation of Scripture to have any part uh, beyond the languages used. Things that are culturally relevant are Deuteronomy 23.12. Take a shovel when you go out to war and go bury your poop outside of your battle camp. And we don't have to poop outside anymore, even though it's in the Bible. Because that's a given context. The premise is do not defile your camp. The premise is stay clean and holy. The premise is obey God. All of that is still in force, in full today. Only now we have toilets that accomplish the same task. We don't have to bring a shovel. And when our soldiers go out to war, they do bring shovels. And they dig latrines. They use portajons and stuff. It's the same. A lot of stuff hasn't changed. We just get a little fancier about it. So when you when you look at the Bible, you cannot say, oh, that's culturally relevant. No, no, no. Why is the rule there? Why is he telling them to do that thing? And then you'll find it's always a universal principle that is still relevant today for us all the time. Uh, just we, we enact it in a different way. Uh, we use different uh, methods to get the same job done. And this is another thing. You can't look at all the rules in Leviticus and say, hey, there was a health reason for it. The rules God gave the Israelites were to differentiate them as a people and to a certain degree simply 
give them a rule that reveals sin. Paul lays this out in uh, the New Testament. Uh, the, the book of Galatians is the book, the entire book is Paul explaining why we don't need to follow the Old Testament law anymore. Uh, don't need to. Uh, I understand some people still do. There are plenty of uh, Messianic Jews where they still go to synagogue. They still adhere to the dietary laws. Jesus is their Mashiach. Jesus is the come Messiah that they proclaim. And they are fully aware they don't need to. They don't place those burdens on uh, Gentiles who become believers. They still follow it because it's their cultural heritage. And that's exactly what the early church did for the first half of the book of Acts, up to Acts chapter 10. They're all following. They're, they're giving sacrifice at the temple. They're following Hebrew dietary laws. And uh, in Acts chapter 15, it becomes a bit of a big deal. Like, hey, let's be clear. Anybody who's not a Jew, all they have to do is, and they give like a little top five list, list that's basically Noah's covenant. You know, don't eat blood. Don't eat meat sacrificed to idols. Uh, don't be a jerk. Go, go follow Jesus, man. It's all right. It's all right. Salvation is from. So yes, there are health benefits. Yes, you have trichinosis in pigs. Uh, they didn't entirely understand. But if you're looking in Leviticus for dietary advice, you're doing it wrong. That's not the purpose of those laws. Yes, a lot of the laws. You have to understand how far back in time you are. Moses is writing this in 1440s BC. That's like 3,000 years before the Middle Ages. 3,000 years before you're going to have like knights and kings and armor and stuff. Just about. Uh, 1500s more like Renaissance era. Anyway, like Da Vinci. Yeah, 3,000 years before Leonardo da Vinci. It's a long time ago. Germ theory, nowhere in sight. And so when, if you look at these purity laws for, um, for, what is the stinking, it's been a long day, guys. My brain just went blank. Lepers, there we go. The leprosy, the purity laws for leprosy that they have show a a knowledge of cross-contamination that they did not have until modern germ theory. Up until the 1920s, doctors were still killing their patients because they wouldn't wash their hands between patients. And in Leviticus, under all these silly laws they got to obey for leprosy, there's a knowledge behind it. You can look at it with a modern eye and go, that's cross-contamination. Well, of course, you wouldn't sit on a chair that uh, a man with weeping sores would sit on. You'd want to wash everything and burn it. They don't know that. God's not going to sit there and explain germ theory meticulously, something they had no vocabulary or concept for. A lot of this stuff, God has given to us as humans to figure out on our own. And we've done a, we, it took us a while, but we've done a bang-up job so far, I think. Uh, as far as internet and vaccines and stuff go, you know, the ones that aren't uh, full of poison. So, it's, uh, it's important, though. That's not why God gave them the law. 
it's in there because God knows what's going on, because he knows what's up. He built everything. He knows how it works. So laws are going to function around that. But that's not why he gave them the laws. He gave them the law to reveal sin, to put conditions on the covenant, and to to create and to preserve their society. To to create that, that structure and that security. But the, the primary one is to reveal sin because Jesus is coming. And Jesus' sacrifice doesn't make any sense unless they have a frame of reference for sacrifice. Sin requires death. If you sin, then you die. It doesn't matter if you didn't know any better. It's all part of it. They're attached. That's part of justice. That's why he's a just God. And that's really the focus of Leviticus. So, go read it for yourself. Um, just... Uh, be ready to take take uh, take a while, you know. Either just power through and know that you're not going to understand anything, and you'll start seeing little threads that make sense in other places. Uh, if you are going to read it, just go slow, steady. Maybe have a commentary with you on that one. I always like having my own opinions formed before I look at a commentary. Uh, Leviticus is one of the books I would say that there's a bit of an exception on, just because there's so much stuff in it that can be confusing and disorienting and is just dry and long. Uh, but just remember that commentary guy may be wrong. So don't don't uh, don't attach yourself to the first thing you read in a commentary and go, oh well this is truth. There are other ways to look at it. But you know you need floaties sometimes when you're learning to swim, right? Use commentaries like that. So that's all I got for you today. Never take my word for it. Go look yourself. And I will see you next time. Godspeed.